As a teenager, I loved being a Unitarian Universalist. It was a place where I knew that I belonged. What I experienced at church was a world away from my high school experience. Church was a place where people of all different beliefs and backgrounds gathered in one place. They made a point of being kind to one another and did good works to better our world. And I wondered, where did this church come from? As a teenager who loved tie-dye and the Beatles and watching candles melt, I tell you sincerely that I went through my high school years believing that Unitarian Universalism, with all of its anti-authoritarian openness and such a groovy-sounding name, I really believe that Unitarian Universalism must have been invented in the 1960s by some hippies. <laughs> I didn't have the kind of excellent religious education that we offer our children in this congregation. I knew that it was not a shared belief system that bound us together in community. So I assumed that the glue that held us together as Unitarian Universalists, it must have been some kind of mutual tolerance and curiosity. I love the church, but I wasn't really sure who we were or what we were doing together. We'll come back to these questions in just a moment. But first, let's fast forward 13 years to a place hundreds of miles from my high school experience in Kansas City. Even though the forecast called for rain this day, it's a sunny afternoon in Santa Fe, New Mexico surrounded by pine trees and dry desert air, my husband, Jason, and I are exchanging wedding vows. These vows took an old-fashioned tone. We promised to love and support one another, for better or for worse, in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from that day forth. Our marriage has taken many shapes since that day. Here are a few ways that I've shown up in our relationship since we made those promises. I've been an attentive listener and a supporter of dreams. I've actively invoked compassion when it would have been much easier to get on my high horse. I've forgiven grumpiness, backseat driving, <laughs> and words spoken in anger. I've been generous with my time, my affection, and with delicious snacks and food, which can be hard sometimes. <laughs> I've been a pretty great partner, huh? <laughs> Do you want to know what else I've done? <laughs> I've been a resentful and cranky caretaker while Jason has been sick and injured. I've been blinded by selfishness. I have been aware of how a patient and mature person would handle a particular situation, <laughs> and yet chose to make a snarky comment instead, <laughs> thereby ruining perfectly good date nights and family dinners. In fits of anger, I have intentionally tried to hurt Jason's feelings and succeeded. I have also been a backseat driver. 
These behaviors are not actions of love or support, as we promised each other on our wedding day. In fact, these behaviors clearly run counter to the spirit of those promises. I have fallen short of our vows many, many times. And though I don't wish to again, I would be fool if I did not admit that I will continue to stumble and fail to always live up to the promises and aspirations that form the bedrock of our union. In the words of Jewish theologian Martin Buber, the human being is the promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-breaking, promise-renewing creature. Because we are human beings, fallible creatures, incapable of perfection, we fall short and break our promises at times. In a covenanted relationship like a marriage, failure doesn't mean simply enduring a punishment and walking away. When we fall short in covenant with one another, we practice forgiveness and we begin again in love and in relationship. In our reading this morning, William Stafford writes, there's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. While you hold it, you can't get lost. In a marriage, that thread is your covenant with one another. And in a Unitarian Universalist church, this thread is also our covenant with one another. Covenant is the seed from which our religious tradition has taken root. It brings us together in all of our diversity, forming the backbone of our faith. And covenant is the answer to the questions that I had as a teenager about who we are and what we're doing together. These are questions that many of us have lived with as we've gotten to know this faith without a creed. A faith that can simultaneously feel like such a good fit and yet be so hard to explain. A covenant is not a set of beliefs, but it's a framework for our relationship with one another. This framework for relationship, it's built on deep promise. In our tradition, it's the promises that we make to each other that unite us, not a shared creed. The promises of covenant are not merely between people, but they're between people in the presence of that life-giving, life-sustaining force that animates our lives. Covenants are promises between people and God, it's often said. Through covenanting with each other, we promise to walk together in love as a religious community. And our covenant is a thread that can be very hard to see sometimes. Here at First Universalist, we bring that thread back into view each Sunday as we light the flaming chalice and reaffirm these words of covenant, which were adapted from the writing of Unitarian minister James Vila Blake. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. So as we explore covenant, I want to invite you to begin with me at the very beginning. 
to imagine that this idea and our movement has its roots in the 1960s is to miss the mark by millennia. So to find out just how deep the roots of covenant extend, let's travel back in time together, way back in time, back before the 1961 merger of the Unitarians and the Universalists, back before our pilgrim ancestors arrived in New England in the 1600s, even for, before the advent of the New Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. Our history as a people of covenant began in the ancient Near East. And before I begin, I should mention that one of our invisible guides through this terrain this morning is the Unitarian Universalist minister, Alice Blair Wesley, whose lectures on covenant are an incredible resource to our movement. So, are you ready for some serious history? All right. Our modern day covenants have their roots in political commitments, not religious commitments. Well, political is kind of a nice word for it. It actually has more in common with the Sopranos than it might with the United Nations. <laughs> Back in ancient times, small clans made up of simple farmers and herders were vulnerable to raids from roving bandits and gangs. They would get beat up, their animals would be stolen, and when this happened, a more powerful warlord who called himself a king might take notice and see an opportunity. This king would fend off the gangs or maybe incorporate them into his army. And then he would gather the heads of the families and clans together and offer them protection from future raids for a price. The king would keep their enemies at bay if the farmers and herders would promise to pay tribute and enter into a covenant. In this covenant, they would promise fidelity to their new king. He is their king, they are his people, and the king would keep his word and the people would keep their word and all would be well. But if the people break the covenant, they will face the wrath of an angry, mighty king. And to reinforce the importance of this political document, this covenant, it would be stored in a sacred place and the heads of the clan would come together annually to read it to the entire population. So this became the way that kings in the ancient Near East established their kingdoms and kept order throughout their territory. And as happens when human beings encounter great power, the kings got greedy. They became obsessed with power and money, and they squelched the freedoms of the common people. And so at some point, archaeologists argue exactly when this happened, an idea came to ancient Israelites that has hugely informed the lives of millennia of human beings. They said, forget about these human kings. Our Lord is the king of the universe. Our covenant is with our God, who is a God of goodness and generosity, the God who created the very world that we live in. This God fashioned us in his image and protects us because he loves us. And while other nations are embroiled in violence and in hatred, we will live peacefully and keep our covenant with each other and with our God. What this God requires of us is to return 
is what this God requires of us in return is to love him, to love each other, and to follow the laws for living that he's offered us. Now, even a quick glance at the Hebrew scriptures tells us that keeping this covenant certainly was not easy for the ancient Israelites. Again and again, they would fall short, they would deal with the consequences, and be offered another uh, opportunity to be in right relationship with their God. As Unitarian Universalists, our roots reach back not only to the ancient Israelites, but to the Christian tradition, which tells the story of a people ruled by Rome who entered into a new covenant with God. And this time, the covenant was not as a nation, but as individuals. When we look back at the times and the places where the New Testament was composed, that people had gotten greedy and confused and corrupt, and had started seeing their human kings as having far too much in common with the king of the universe. So Jesus reminded the people that the holy is found in loving relationship. Jesus' disciples formed covenanted church communities of people striving to love their neighbors as themselves and worshiping a God far greater and more benevolent than the comparatively tiny, ephemeral Roman Empire. And these free churches, they put their faith in love, love of their neighbors as themselves, a people constantly striving to live into the covenant that that creates, and these are our ancestors. So fast forward with me to one more stop, and this last stop is in 17th century New England where we find our Puritan ancestors and the doctrine that organized their churches, which is called the Cambridge Platform. The Puritans had rejected the Church of England's hierarchical systems of power and governance, and they tried to reform the Church of England, and they failed. So our Puritan ancestors made the bold choice to sail across the Atlantic and to attempt a way of living and worshiping that was based in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible as they understood them. And in these Puritan churches, the people covenanted to walk together in their spiritual lives and to govern themselves through the democratic process. Religious authority lay with the members of the congregations themselves and this is our mode of church governance today. You'll see that in our rites of ordination, during our board meetings, and in a congregation search process for a new minister. Religious authority is ultimately in the hands of the congregation, a congregation that is bound together by covenant. So we come from somewhere. We come from people who sought to transcend oppressive political forces and pledge their hearts to what is holy, transcendent, and good. We come from people who put their faith in love and in each other. We come from people who sought to ground themselves in peace and generosity instead of greed and corruption. This is our spiritual ancestry. Covenant is part of the DNA of our free faith. Unitarian theologian James Luther Adams once wrote that human beings, individually and collectively, become human by making commitment, 
by making promise. Covenant is more than just a nice idea or some inert inheritance. The commitments we make to each other within a church community help us to grow into the best of which the human animal is capable. Part of the way covenant transforms us and teaches us is through its fundamental hopefulness. You see, a covenant is not a contract. A contract is an agreement that is fundamentally based in distrust. And a covenant is a relational framework that is fundamentally grounded in hope. The terms of a contract have clear boundaries and those who violate them are subject to punishment. When a contract is broken, it's over. A covenant is aspirational and it points to a greater vision of wholeness and possibility. When we lose our way, we are still held by the covenant, which has anticipated our nature as promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-breaking, promise-renewing creatures. Our covenant stands ready to redirect us towards forgiveness and towards our deep commitments. A contract is containing and it puts up walls, while a covenant gestures outwards toward the holy, toward a trajectory that can only be followed by those who know hope. Covenant calls us into relationship and asks, what is worthy of our love? What does love require of us? Where is love calling us next? Covenant asks us to walk together in love and in hope. And when we fall short, which we inevitably will, to get back up, to practice forgiveness, and to keep walking. Walking together in love and hope. Friends, if we do this, if we do this in church, in our families, in our relationships, in all those complicated, human-populated places where the hermit in our opening words would never have dared to venture. How could our souls not be transformed? How could our world not be changed? This is our promise and our prayer. May it be so, and amen.